this morning. I'm going to share with you from the book of Nehemiah chapters one and two, but I call it the power of tears. And, and I want to share this with you this morning, but let's pray. Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would hit every heart, every home, those that are here, those that are watching online, those that are following along, that, God, you have something that, Lord, you want to speak to every person here. God, you don't want us to, to remain the same way that we are. God, you want to change us. You want to transform us. You're shaping us. You're molding us. But more than anything, I pray, whether the person is, is young here today, from the smallest child to the oldest uh, saint, God, there's a purpose uh, that we're here. There's a purpose that we're alive in this world today. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to that for like Esther, that Lord, we, we would understand and know for such a time as this. And that Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the people that call this place home. I thank you for all the Bible studies that go on throughout the course of this week. And, and uh, Lord, where there's just your word goes forth and, and lives are transformed and, and people's lives are not just empowered, but Lord, people are healed. People are made whole. Uh, and God, we just pray that you would give us greater influence, that you give us greater opportunity, Lord, in the world that's around us. We know even tonight on our campus, we'll have, uh, whether it's one family, you know, Lord, it would be worth every effort to, to, Lord, put on something where we could connect with one family and offer them hope, the hope that God himself provides. And so uh, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear this morning what the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, would speak to us. And uh, Lord, Above everything, uh, Lord, again, we've loved singing to you this morning. Uh, God, we know that you're in this place. We know you're here with us today. And Lord, we just invite you to speak and to take your rightful place in each of our hearts, each of our minds. Lord, and be glorified. That, that's our greatest, greatest hope, our greatest desires. Be glorified today, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying, amen. Well, I can tell you how this this title, like I said, the, the power of tears just birthed out of just personal experience in, in my life this week, obviously being sick and, and, you know, I'm not one that when I get sick, I never, I never go, God, why me? Um, oftentimes I go, you know, God, I know I go, God, this is really, I'm getting off easy for what I deserve. You know, what I deserve is hell. And uh, so to be sick, but I, but I, I, there's always something when I get sick or that I'm in pain is it, it, it pushes me to God. And, and I always appreciate those moments because he becomes more real to me. Uh, and it's not that, you know, he's not real to me, but I, I sense his presence uh, more uh, when I'm in the midst of pain than I do when I'm, when I'm enjoying pleasure in life. And, and there was moments this week, I mean, I was, I mean, I was down and um, I, I didn't want to go to the doctor. You know, I thought oh, I can, I can whip this, you know? So I told my wife, go get, you know, NyQuil, get DayQuil, get, you know, whatever you can get. And I got all these people, you know, calling me and texting me and praying for me and, you know, rebuking me, telling me, you know, go to the doctor and I'm being stubborn and not wanting to go. And so it just got worse, worse. And then I, I don't know, have you ever been sick where then your body just starts to hurt? You know, like I got up and I mean, my hip was like out of place and I got up, I couldn't even stand up. I was just like, I was in the kitchen and I was leaning on the island and I was, I was crying. I mean, I was crying. I was in pain. I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't, I kept moving my leg. I, uh, sometimes riding my bike, actually, this is, this is I've, totally a gift from God because the doctors, this totally baffles them. They're going, you know, Mike, riding a bike should probably be the worst thing for your back and for your neck. And I go, it's the only thing that 
that I feel good. I go, it takes the pressure off. And they go, well, then keep doing it. So you got to picture this. I'm in pain in my kitchen. So I'm trying to ride my bike like this, you know, I'm just going through the motion and it worked. It was like, so I was able to, but I mean, and all of a sudden I'm just crying out to God. And, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just starts quickening things. I started, I, I started coughing and I was coughing so bad that have you ever coughed so bad that you get a headache, like right here? I mean, I was, I was in, I mean, it was bad. I mean, stuff's coming up and you know, it's, it's a mess. And I was hurting so bad. I grabbed my head and that was the only way that, I mean, I was in so much pain and I kept coughing and immediately I thought of Matthew. I think of all the years, you know, that Matthew's come down for prayer and, you know, uh, Matthew was in an accident, had a surgery and, and has, you know, has major, major headaches that he's dealt with all of, you know, his adult life. And, and, and I've probably prayed with him realistically. I bet I've prayed with him 500 plus times uh, over this situation and cried with him and, and held him while was, there's been moments where it was tremendous. And the Lord just brought him to my mind when, you know, Mike, you're, you're feeling something. It was like what Matthew feels. And it was just like out of the blue. It wasn't like I was praying for Matthew or something. And I was like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for letting me feel that. And I go, because it reminded me to pray for Matthew. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, as I was dealing with this, you know, I finally broke down on Friday. I called my doctor about three o'clock or two thirty or something. And, uh, they said, well, you know, come on in. So it was really nice. And I learned there's a really good thing. If you call a doctor really late on a Friday, when I took a picture and posted on social media, I was the only car in the parking lot. Everybody else was gone. I had the doctors all to myself. They probably all wanted to go home, but, uh, at that point, but, uh, and then, you know, because you're in COVID protocol, because, you know, I'm going in sick, they really usher you right in, you know, and take really good care of you. But I just, you know, thank God for really good doctors and, and got me in and out. And I've had, you know, 27 COVID tests. They're all negative. Um, my nose hurts really bad. I can just, I just want you to know that, but it, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, so, um, I got all kinds of good medications and, and my favorite, I told Larry, uh, Larry checked on me was the, and I, I didn't get to tell him this. I was going to text him about 1030 that night. I said, I, my favorite is the cherry cough syrup um, with codeine. I go, cause I take, I take it. And I go, and after about 20 minutes, I feel like a Lutheran and I go, I don't, and he understood what I was talking about, but, but, um, so about 10 o'clock I'd taken it and oh yeah, I mean, it was kicking in, you know, so I was going to like, Hey, Larry, are you, are you asleep? Cause I'm not, you know, but I didn't want to bother him cause uh, he works hard, but, uh, uh, I, I told him, but they did, they, they sent me home with that and, and, uh, it, you know, I, I told my wife, I said, at this point, I don't even care if it works. I go, I just like this, this cough syrup is real. It just makes you sleep really good. So, but I, I, I definitely, you know, was dealing with this and, and it was just this painful thing that brought me to tears. And I, I was trying to think, when was the last time that I, I really cried? And what did I cry for? Was I, and for me, sadly, what I want to tell you in that moment, I was crying for myself. I was in pain. And, but that pain caused me to cry out to God. You know, I, I've always believed, I've read a lot of books on change and how it comes about. And there's, it's been noted, you know, scientifically that people change basically about one of three ways. They either want to change, so they just change. Or they have enough information or education that they can change. That's why people study things, Right. Or, and this is, but it's, this is the most, the most change occurs when people hurt so bad that they don't have any other choice than to change. And I thought, man, that, that was me because I waited, like I said, it was Friday afternoon. I tried to, I got sick Saturday. I waited all the way till Friday 
just tried to tough it out, you know. And, and then in my pain, you know, I finally go, I, I, can't, I can't do this. And, and it reminds me of something I just want to share with you before we really dig into this. Uh, there's way more introduction than there is text that I'm going to read to you this morning in this. Um, is, you know, maybe you're here today and you're fighting life, you're fighting God, and, and you're in pain. You know, I, I just want to tell you, as somebody who does that often, uh, I get it, I understand. But um, you'll, you're never going to enjoy the peace of God or the presence of God until you surrender. And, and when you surrender, and it takes a lot. I mean, because I think all of us, you know, even that we, though we, oh, I've surrendered to God, I find I take back, I surrender, I give up, I relinquish is what I do. Maybe I don't, res- I don't truly surrender. And then we pull things back, you know. And uh, so, you know, it, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're, if you're in that place, you know, let go. You know, we were singing, just worship was so wonderful today. You know, it's just lift your hands towards heaven today and, and ask God to take your life. Surrender your heart to him and, uh, and he, he will rescue you. And, and he will change you and he will transform you. And it's a wonderful, wonderful life in Christ Jesus. It's hell outside of Christ Jesus. And, and again, I remind you all the time, you know, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there and hell is hell because Jesus isn't there. And so if Jesus isn't in your life, it's a living hell. And that's what we're seeing, you know, in the world today. I, I got a question, you know, I want to blow through this, then I'll get back to my notes here, was uh, when you look around the world today, and this is a, this is participatory, okay? I'll give you a couple minutes to think about this and, and respond to this. You can just raise your hand, say it out loud. Uh, when you look around the world today, what do you see? What do you see? Say it loud, though, because I'm deaf. I'm old. Chaos, Chaos fear, despair. despair. What was that? Selfishness. 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 Division. Okay. See, I love this. See, we're a helpful church. We relay things. You know, yeah. I heard three rows back. Yeah. What else? Anything else? You look around the world today. What do you see? I mean, I know none of us have an opinion about anything, but, you know, this is a place where you can. What do you see when you look around the world today? What do you see? Pain. Yeah. What else? If you hear them and I didn't repeat it, that means I didn't hear it. So you just, somebody else yell it until I hear it. Prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. Yeah, there's so many things, you know, that, that we can see. And it's, and most of it isn't good when you look around the world. You know what God sees? Prophecy was a great, great word to use to segue into this. God sees potential. God sees an opportunity. And, and that's what he wants you and I to see. Potential, and he wants us to see an opportunity. I want to ask you another question here. You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to answer it in your heart. I mean, truly answer it in your heart. Do you believe that you're here alive in this moment for a reason? Do do you believe there's a purpose for your existence? I I want you to think about that and really that you'd answer that, not that you're yelling it to me, but that you'd be yelling it to God, that that you you truly believe. And, and, and you don't have to know exactly what it is right now. I'm just saying, but you, you, you're settled on the issue that you're not just here taking up space, that there is a purpose for your being. There's a purpose for your existence. Because I want you to understand 
that, again, you are here at this very, very specific moment in time when the world is everything that you just said, that it's filled with pain, it's filled with division, it's filled with hurt, it's filled with depression, it's filled with sorrow, it's filled with anxiety, it's filled with uncertainty, uh, it's filled, you know, whether I said selfishness, you know, it, it's filled with all those things and so much more, so much more. And then you go, but you're here and I'm here. You go for, for a reason. And, and the Lord brought this to mind as I was looking at Nehemiah. The Lord took me to Galatians, you know, chapter four, verses four and five. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of son. What, what it's saying is that at the perfect moment in time, Jesus was born into this world. Everything God does is perfect. You were born into this world for such a time as this. This is a perfect moment in time. The important thing is, is that you and I tap in to what God has saved us for. If you're here today and you're saved, you were saved with a purpose. It wasn't just to take up space until one day that you get to heaven. God wants to do something in you. He wants you to know him and he wants to make himself known through you. You know, they say that evangelism is always uncomfortable until it becomes uncomfortable, you know, when it just becomes part of your life, you know, and I, and I love that. You know, I, I remind you of this all the, all the time, you know, that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what you see all throughout, you know, scripture. We'll look at Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah, he, he, was, he was not a king. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was a cupbearer. You know, in modern terms, you know what a cupbearer would be? A butler. He was a butler to the king. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, and I believe, you know, if you're like me, you, you want your life to count. We're, we're looking to do things, to accomplish things that, that matter and things that matter most. And you know what? The good news is you can. You can. Maybe it's because you will it. Maybe it's because you'll have enough information that you can. Or maybe, you know, maybe you start to hurt enough in this life. And my hope today is the latter, is number three is that the really the lasting change, what I've discovered in my own life, I discovered this last week, what, what drove me to the doctor. It wasn't just because I willed it. It wasn't because I had enough information. I had all that. It was, I was in enough pain that it moved me. And again, and it's why the Lord quickened this study this morning in the book of Nehemiah to, to share with you. You know, the best way, you know, like I said, you know, when you think about making a difference, is we got to change, obviously, the way that we think. We, we need to think big. We need to think eternally. We need to think about doing something. And this is what I love about Together We Can. We, we think about doing something that will outlast us, something that, that nobody could pull off on, on their own. It, it, takes, it takes a lot of people uh, to do that ministry. And, and, and it's so exciting to see the fruit that it bears because of it. But it's, it's, it's wanting to do something that lasts. You know, not just, you know, going, hey, I want to, I wanna, you know, uh, make a living. You know, it's like, it's like, it's not, it, it doesn't satisfy, but having purpose for the things that you do. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And then earlier, remember he'd said, you know, in, in the Lord's prayer, teaching that to the disciples in Matthew 6, 10, he said, you know, we would pray, not my will, but yours be done. You know, that, that's how you, you get on the right track here, you know, and making a difference in the world is that we, we surrender. It's like I, I started this, you know, service with today that we, we say, Lord, not my will, 
Let thine be done. And that becomes what a daily prayer in our life. You know, sometimes multiple times a day that we're faced with those kind of decisions. You know, I, I share with you all the time, you know, you know, the more heavenly minded you become, the more earthly good you're going to accomplish. Let me say that again. The more heavenly minded you become, the more earthly good you will accomplish. That's what Paul was pointing out, wasn't he? In Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he said, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. God, he's not asking you to die. He's asking you to live for him, right? Wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When he says reasonable service, he said it's the it's the right thing to do. It's the It's the... Like, da-da, like, you know, it, it, that's what you do. When, when, to know that God has saved you with a plan, with a purpose, you serve him with your life. You give yourself completely to him. And, and then he goes on, Paul does there in verse two, and he says, but don't be conformed to this world. If you feel like, is there ever a time, you know, more in your life and in mine that we feel like the world is trying to conform us right now? Do you, you feel that pressure as a believer? Yeah, to have faith and, and to have a certain belief, you go, Absolutely. He says, but don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hear me on this, church. You can't follow a culture that isn't following God. You know, we, we've got to make a choice. I mean, you know, as James said, you know, make ourselves a friend of this world to become an enemy of God. There is a price, you know, that comes with that. That was Israel. When you look at Israel in the Old Testament, we'll, we'll talk about this on Wednesday. That was their problem, wasn't it? It's what got them into hot water. They wanted to be like everybody else. God had chosen Israel as his own special people, right? And what did they say? They go, we want a king like the rest of the world. We don't follow God around all the time? No, we want a king. And God's going, okay, you know, it's not going to be what you think. It's not going to turn out the way you want, but he did. And did God work through it? You go, absolutely, he did. But in their sin and in their rebellion, you know, you look at what, what took place. And yet God had other plans. God had bigger plans. God had eternal plans. God chose Israel to be a great nation. And guess what? He, I think he, I believe with all my heart that he chose the United States of America to be a great nation as well. But what happens when you, when you look at God's principles and God's plans and God's ways and you say, okay, we're going to start doing things. And as our founding fathers really set out to do, if you read, you know, all the things that surround, you know, the, the true, you know, you, again, <laughs> things that took place in our country with our founding fathers, you can see that the hand of God was upon them. Uh, they were normal men. They were sinful men, just like, you know, every person that's ever, you know, been born into this world. But they were men that God used. God was using for his purpose for such a time as this and the time that they lived in. And in the end, you can't serve God in your own strength. And what happens is when a, a nation, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's the United States of America, you start to stand in your own strength. You know, what does God do? He resists what? The proud. And he gives what? Grace to the humble. And, and I believe that God's using pain to bring about the change in America that he desires to bring about. Because we're not willing it to happen. And we, you know, we know we have enough education. We have enough information to make it happen. And it's not happening. And you go, but what's happening? And we're seeing it around the, the country today. Things that are happening, you know, in the world today. People are being hurt by it. They're seeing their, we're seeing things, especially with regard to our kids. When children are being injured by something, you know, parents rise up. And it doesn't matter what, you know, how you vote or anything else. Is Man, family matters. And, and what we're seeing is, but it's pain that's bringing about this change. And so, again, we want to harness that. You know, we don't want to, you know, 
go, oh, you know, hey, you know, it's like, what was that old, you know, Coca-Cola commercial, you know, I'd like to teach the world to sing and live in perfect harmony. And if we just go stand on a mountain and drink a Coca-Cola, and I know that because I work for Pepsi-Cola, there's no way standing on a mountain drinking a Coke would unify the world, okay? It's terrible tasting stuff. It would never happen. But, but people, they settle, you know, for that kind of an idea. And again, it, it'll never work. You know, that's called idolatry. You place anything above God, you know, and you're going to find your yourself in a tremendous place of sin. But if you want to do something that's significant, What's going to happen? And I believe this has been happening in our country from its inception. Anytime that you set out to do something good, you're going to be met with opposition. Have you ever found that to be true in your own life? It doesn't just have to be something that's, you know, what you might consider godly. Just say that you, you want to do something good. You're going to be, you know, faced with rejection. You might be faced with misunderstanding, uh, hurt, heartache. And that's just from the people that love you, Right. You know, I mean, look at Jesus being rejected by his own family. You go, but man, is it worth it? Yeah. The pain, there's agony. You're going to deal with, with failure, fear, loneliness, doubt, discouragement. You know, people are going to make fun of you, but it's worth it. I just want you to know it's worth it. You go, when what? When God is glorified and the lives of other people are changed. When God is glorified and the lives of other people are changed, you go, it's worth the pain that you go through. You know, that's what the writer of Hebrews reminds us, you know, in Hebrews 12, one and two, it says, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, there's the key. I mean, he, Jesus is going to the cross, he's dying. He died for us. It says, but he did so for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, the ridicule, all the things that came with it. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to know something today, church. You're worth the pain. You were worth the pain. I don't know what you think about yourself. I don't know what people say about you, but I know what God thinks about you. And I know what God says about you. And he says that you were worth the pain. You are valuable to him. You are a priceless treasure to him. The key is who you're listening to, who you're running to, who you're turning to. I want you to understand, you know, when your sacrifices that you make in this life, that they impact another life and you glorify God, you, you won't worry any longer about what people think. You won't worry about what they say, because you know that what you're doing is glorifying God and what you're doing is changing lives for the glory of God. And you go, there is a satisfaction that comes with that. You know, I, I was thinking this, like I said, this week, I'm standing there in my kitchen, you know, and I mean, I'm in pain. I, I'm coughing in my head. I mean, I, I don't normally get headaches, thank God, but I know people that do and they come up and they pray and they go, can you pray for me? And I, and I can't really identify with it. But all of a sudden this week I'm going, I mean, like it, it's so bad. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Well, I, I can remember, and it might've been that thought that just went through my mind. I remember praying with Matthew dozens and dozens of times. I'm going, man, I just feel like I'm, my pain is so great. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And, and I'm in so much pain. All of a sudden I, I stop and I'm just going, Lord. And I don't know why, because it's not within me. I know it's Jesus in me. There, there's nothing in me that wants to, when I'm in pain, just automatically just wants to go, oh, hey God, thank you for hurting me. You know, thank you. He didn't do it, but you go, thank you for allowing this. You go, but all of a sudden I'm going, Lord, I, and thank you for letting me feel this. So 
It reminds me to pray for Matthew. And it was this surreal moment. And as, as short as it was, and in that moment, it was like, I felt like, I, I wasn't, I just felt I knew. I knew that in the midst of my pain, I was bringing glory to God. And that pain was for the benefit of someone else. I wasn't going, oh Lord, take that, you know, take, I, it didn't even come out of my mouth. I didn't even think of it. And, it, and it, like I said, it's not because I'm not selfish because I am. But I just, you, you love those moments where you know that God is, is wanting to say something. And like I said, and it builds into all this, you know, today that I want to share with you here. You know, I just want you to understand something. There, there's not a lot of really deep things in this, what I'm sharing with you. You can make it deep if you'll go and you'll study the book of Nehemiah. Most people, when they look at Nehemiah, they go, oh, it's a great book on leadership. It is. It's a great book on, on vision and vision casting and rallying people. But, you know, in the book of Nehemiah, if you study this book, Nehemiah has 12 recorded prayers. 12 recorded prayers. I mean, that means there's a lot more prayers, you know. And so the secret to Nehemiah's success isn't his leadership skills, isn't because he built something, you know, that there was something that, you know, we look at all those kind of things. He goes, no, it's what happened behind the closed doors. And, and, and this is so fascinating to me in so many levels because of how it all begins. You know, when you, you, when you look at this, you know, this change that took place, you might say, you know, in Nehemiah's life, you know, he had a heart for his homeland. He had a heart for the people. You know, and you think about this, because we make fun of Bakersfield, right? Because we live here, and we can. But when other people make fun of Bakersfield, it's not funny. If we make fun of it, it's okay, because it's our town, you know. You know, it's like I, I put my notes here, you know. Uh, number one reason to live in Bakersfield. You know what it is? Number one reason to live in Bakersfield. Overwhelmingly, it prepares you for heaven, okay? No one, no, you know, you have people have written books about dying and going to heaven, okay? None of those people are from Bakersfield, okay? They, they didn't go, I died and I went to heaven and I was talking to God and God said, you know, you can go back or you can stay here. No one's ever died and gone to heaven and go, no, God, I want to go back to Bakersfield, okay? It's not going to happen, okay? But this, this is home for us. And, and hopefully, you know, we have a heart where we pray for this. Well, Nehemiah loved Jerusalem. He, he had a heart. He's over a thousand miles away in, in Persia at, at this point in time, okay? So you kind of look at this story here as it, you know, as it unfolds. It says this in, in, in Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, it says, the words of Nehemiah, that says the son of Hakaliah, says it came to pass in the months of Chislev in the 20th year, he says, I was in Shushan, the citadel. That's the, the winter palace of the king. It was, like I said, it was, it's what we might picture as Palm Springs. It's where you want to go in the wintertime. You know, when you're, when you're in Iraq, you know, and you're in the desert there and it's 120 degrees, this was the winter palace. Okay. So this, this was a beautiful place. And, uh, he says that Hananiah, says one of my brethren, came with the men of Judah. And he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, and this is what I want you to, don't miss this. This is what I want to stop and, and really take to heart here for a second, because I hope that this is something that 
each of us builds on this week. He says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. So usually, you know, if you're like me, if you're a guy and someone tells you about, you know, hey, there's a problem, it's over here and this is the problem. We go, well, let's go do something, right? And, and, and we're, we're kind of non-emotional about it. It's just, give me the facts, okay? And let's go, let's go win the battle. Let's go win the war. Let's go rebuild. Let's go do, 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 go, 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 work, 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 okay? That's kind of a guy thing. And yet you look at Nehemiah here, like I said, he's not a pastor. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. He's just a guy who loves God and loves people. You know, it's been said, well said, that there's, there's three kind of people in the world. People that make things happen, people that watch things happen, and then those that have no idea what's happening. Now, I don't know what group you're in, but, uh, you know, we all fall into some category there. Um, but remember this, you know, as you look at Nehemiah's life, you know, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. There, there's a reason you're alive. There's a reason you're here. There's a purpose for your life. There's a plan that God has for you. You know, like I said, Nehemiah was, was a cupbearer for the king. And it, it was a trusted position. You think about that he's tasting the wine. Because remember, in that day, if there was a conspiracy, there was something to try to take out the king, the best way you could do it was bring him, you know, food or beverage, right? And poison him. You've seen, you know, shows, you know, and all of a sudden they bring something in, they hand it to him, and they boom. Or, you know, but if you have a cupbearer, you give it to the cupbearer first, right? And so the cupbearer tastes it. And if he falls over, you get a new cupbearer, but your life is spared. Kind of like secret service cupbearers, you might say. You know, they're to protect the king. And so here, like I said, a little bit of the backstory in this. You got to think just real quickly here. About 100 you know, years earlier, 587 BC, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they come in, they invade and destroy Jerusalem. It's just that the gates of the city were burned. Remember, they, there was no stone left unturned. Uh, Solomon's temple there. Uh, the majority of people that uh, weren't killed uh, were taken into, you know, Babylonian captivity. They basically left, you know, the old and, you know, the lame, you know, there in the city that couldn't fight, couldn't do anything, just left, basically left them there to die. So about six decades later, there's about 50,000 Jews that are led by a guy named Ezra. You guys know him. And they move back into Jerusalem and they're going to rebuild, you know, the city. They're going to rebuild the temple there. And it didn't take too long, but, you know, they get discouraged. They abandon the work and it stalls out. And so here's Nehemiah, his brother comes and he's telling that those that are back in the province there, there's no wall, there's no gates, they're still burned down. So, you know, if you have a city and there's no walls, and there's no gates, then what? You're pretty much subject to attack, right? And you're, you're vulnerable. So there's no safety, there's no security. It's one of the things that we're seeing in our country today. You go, is it by design? You go, it's interesting. You know, when you, you study scripture and you study biblical history and you study war and what takes place, when you don't have a border and you don't have walls, you know, uh, you go, there's no security. And so listen to all the things when I started the service and I said, so what are people saying? You know, what, what, what's the pulse? What are, what are people thinking? Well, it's all these things. And so this is a great study for us. But it's not, I'm not here today to go, hey guys, you know what? It's time to everybody rise up and build. There's a lot of great studies in Nehemiah about doing that. But I think for the most part, we're missing. We're missing what's really, really important. And I know this has been on the heart, you know, of our eldership, you know, as of late is to really grasp this, what I believe that really is, is Nehemiah's heart here. And, you know, again, like I said, Nehemiah at this point, he's about a thousand miles away in Persia where he's at. 
and you know from Jerusalem here. And so he hears this 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 story, and and, and what does it do? It just like I said, it, it breaks his heart. And and again, he it teaches us, you know, a lot of lessons. But but I think, you know, the most important maybe lesson for today is what do you do when life hurts? What do you do? when life hurts. And, and you can say, what do you do when life hurts you? Not just other people, when life hurts you, because this, this hurt Nehemiah. You know, when life breaks you, you know, you could say, you know, you need to do what Nehemiah did. And, and like I said, I just want to encourage you with this. Verse four, look at what it says there. It says, so it was when I heard these words, it says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. You know what, when you hurt, when you look around the world today, I'm not going to ask you, you know, this, but I, I wonder how many of us, when we look at the world today, that we just sit down and we cry, that we just weep. And I had to think about that a lot this week, like I said, because I was crying because I was in pain. And so that was something that I, I thought in my own life, probably you just, you go, well, when was the last time I had a good cry? And what did I cry for? Was I crying for myself? Was I crying for other people? And this is something that, that's so amazing about Nehemiah because he looked around at the world and he saw exactly what you're seeing. But maybe his response was a lot different than yours and mine. But maybe it's the response that we need to ask God to begin to do in their heart. I can just be honest and say that I'm asking God to do this to me and me. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. And I'm invite you to pray it, you know, as we close the service today, is to pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Not, don't break my heart for what, you know, hurts me because it's not about me. It's about him. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because I think that's really what sets Nehemiah apart in every area of his life because it all started right here. You know what happens when you allow God to break your heart for what breaks his? You experience the worship of tears. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what happened for me this week. It was my own pain, but God began to turn that pain towards a focus, not on myself, but on other people who hurt a lot worse than I do. They're going through a lot more pain and struggles and things in life than I am. And, and it's humbling, but it's really, really powerful because God is in those moments. And you, when you allow that to happen, you experience what I call the worship of tears the worship of tears. We see it all through the scripture. You see it when the woman comes in, remember who's praying at Jesus' feet? And, and Jesus says, she's worshiping me with her tears. So we think, oh, you're, that's weak. I don't know anybody that thinks Nehemiah is a weak man. Nobody does. But what's the first thing that he does? He doesn't go, let's go get him. Let's go. No, he, he, it makes him fall on his face and he's crying. He's crying out to God. He's crying within himself. He says he's, he's weeping and he's mourning. Psalm 56, 8 says, you know, David writes this. He says, you number my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What does that say? Every tear that you cry, God captures. Every tear. He doesn't waste them. They can be worshiped to God. Your pain, the pain of this world, if you bring it to God, it can become worship for you. You know, we don't necessarily think of crying as spiritual, but it is. I mean, like I said, Nehemiah is a pretty spiritual guy. So I have a couple of questions. Can you think of the last time you cried because you hurt for somebody else besides yourself? 
Because I think if America's going to get fixed, if our world's going to get fixed, that might be a good starting point. And just as important a question, what burdens you? What is it that you see going on in the world that just makes you want to cry? And if it's made you want to cry, what keeps you from crying? What keeps you? Like I said, the dangerous prayer. Ask God. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Like I said, pain is a powerful motivator. Pain, I've shared with you many times, is a gift that nobody wants. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Look around our city. This is the city of Bakersfield. I remember, you know, talking to coach about this years ago. You know, this is really the, the thing that, you know, gave birth to, you know, opening the coffee shop back up was because of the fact that we've tried to minister to the homeless and we've failed miserably. We, we've tried to deal with people with mental illness. You know, we, we have Recovery 180 and we learned so much, you know, through this, you know, the, the, that ministry there. And we decided, you know, it was really the, the slogan, you know, the motto of when we really opened the, the coffee shop up is we help people who help people. That, that's what we decided to do. We go, you know, we, we, we can't do this, but there's a lot of people that are out there on the front line that are making things happen. You know, it's so every month, you know, we look for partners, you know, in our community to come alongside and to help. You know, this last month we worked with CASA, you know, court appointed special advocates. You got kids that, you know, are in foster care and they, they go to court and they have nobody there for them. And you think, well, is that, you know, is that ministry? And you go, absolutely. You know, that we would minister to what? Widows and orphans, you know? And so God opens up doors, but you, you start seeing things that are out there. You know, Magdalene Hope, you know, ministry here in Bakersfield that, that deals with human trafficking. Most of us are just totally unaware of it. But it's not, you know, it's not just women that are out there. It's, it's men and it's young boys. It's children. We're seeing our, our southern border, regardless of what your political concepts are, you know, it's not being reported to you. But there's, there's numbers I could share with you that you, know, you want to cry. It wasn't my point because I could just drive you emotionally today. I wanted to drive you theologically. I, I could easily show you pictures right now, right? You know, and things that would just go, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, use your emotion. I, I'm want, I want God. I want this to be a move of God's spirit. And you think about, you know, Nehemiah's name. His name means, you know, comfort of God. You know, that, that Nehemiah is a type you know, of, of what the Holy Spirit is in this world to bring comfort. And, and when there's pain and, you know, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have an ability to make a difference in people's lives. But you know what? If we're not willing to feel their pain or we just, you know, everything's arm's distance. You know, that's one of the things that the Pharisees, you know, they hated about Jesus because he touched, you know, I mean, to think he touched a leper. That was like touching an AIDS patient. You know, remember when Princess Diana, you know, touched a, an AIDS, you know, patient? It was, for the, was really the first time when a human being made contact, you know, in a, a, somebody who was a, a really, besides a doctor, you know, our frontline people that were giving their lives. I'm talking about someone who was famous, you know, that, that was world-renowned. And here she is, you know, uh, touching, you know, hugging an AIDS patient, you know, and it was like what that did, you know. Jesus did it all the time. The difference was is he touched and they got, they got clean. They became whole. You know, but we have that opportunity, you know, in the world. But it's painful. I, I remind you often, you know, we're, we're all broken people living in a broken world amidst other broken people. I mean, you look around in our city, like I said, homelessness, human trafficking, drug abuse, abortion, suicide. I mean, teenage suicide. I mean, is astronomical. It's up over 400% this last year, over 400%. I mean, I know 
if you've been involved with this church very long, there's been numerous families this last you know year uh, that they don't attend our church any longer, but they were here in the early days of our church that you know have lost children and grandchildren to suicide. You know, everybody knows somebody. I've done too many funerals for for kids that just couldn't take it anymore and thought you know suicide. And I'll tell you this, you know, for, especially for you young people that are here, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It will pass. There is, you can talk to people around. We, yes, we live in a world full of hurt, full of pain, but we have a God who comforts. We have a God who doesn't even waste your tears. And that's important to understand that about who God is and what God does. And so I understand that, you know, COVID really messed up a whole, whole bunch of people. But what did Nehemiah do? He didn't just get emotional and say, you know, like we do, we go, I just needed a good cry. You know, you ever told somebody that, you know, I, I well, not hopefully as a guy, you know, but I know I, I have a wife and I have a daughter and oftentimes, you know, they go, you know, I, I just needed a good cry. And there's, there's an emotional side of that and it's good and it's healthy. Uh, I know men that we don't and you go, and guess what? And there's doctors and PAs here that you can tell us that's why men deal with coronary heart disease more than women do and everything else. You go, why? Because we stuff it, right? So we hold it in as opposed to letting it out. Well, Nehemiah, what does he do? He lets it out. He lets it out. And what did he do? He didn't just cry, but he allowed his pain to push him to God. That's really the second thing. You know, the first thing, when you really want to be used of God in this moment, let it out. When you see the pain that's going on in this world, don't bottle it up. Let it out. Let it bring you to tears. Let it bring you to your knees. You know, do what Nehemiah did. Cry, mourn, feel the loss. Don't, don't, don't push it away, you know, but that takes courage to do that especially when it's for someone else to say, you know, I want to feel what they feel. That's exactly what Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him, we could become the righteousness of God. He bore everything. That's why Hebrews says that we have a high priest who does, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in all things like you and me, but without sin. He knows exactly what you think. He knows exactly what you feel and he's there for us. And so Nehemiah says, you know, I, I let it take me to my knees. It, it brought out, you know, tears. I was mourning the loss, but what did it do? It caused me to look to God. Again, you look at verse four on from there. He says, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray Lord God of heaven. Oh, great. Awesome. God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those you love and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. You uh, are there. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please be attentive. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So again, it's, if it's important enough to cry about, it's important enough to cry out to God about, amen? That's what Nehemiah is doing here, you know, is, is 
you know, he's, he's, and he's, and he's reminding God of God's promises. And you go, does God need to be reminded of his promises? No, I need to be reminded of God's promises. That's what he's saying. God, you've said, it's a declaration. You've said, God, you said in your word that you do this. God, you promise. There's promises in, in God's word. That's why, again, just reading the word, just allowing that word. Nehemiah knew it so well. It just, as he's crying out to God, it's just coming out. He's going, God, I know your promises. You're faithful to your people. You said that, you know, yes, you would discipline us. If we rebelled against you, you would chasten us. And, and yet you said that you would draw us back, that this wouldn't be forever. We wouldn't have to stay like this. And God, thank you that you're faithful to your promises. You know, so he's, he's, he's telling God what God's word says, but he's not telling because God goes, oh yeah. You know, it's like, no. I need to be reminded. Nehemiah needed to be reminded. You need to be reminded. And so again, he's going, you know, and if I've got favor with you, you know, then give me favor with this man. I love what John Wesley said. He says, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Is our pain, is it pushing us to pray? And you have to just look at your prayer life today. I mean, truly your prayer life, you know, I mean, what do we pray? You know, most of us pray, you know, statistics, you read a, a Gallup poll or, you know, a survey that's out there. Um, Barna Research, I was reading this week, you know, 82% of the people that pray don't pray out loud at all. They just pray silently to themselves. And, and 64% pray just prayers of thanksgiving, meaning that we just pray over our food. We thank God for our food, thank Him for our family, thank Him for our friends, but not that intercessor where we're broken before God going, we see the pain that's in the world and we're allowing ourselves to feel it. And again, this isn't to be corrective in how you pray. Everybody prays differently. I think you understand, you know, the point and just receive what the Holy Spirit would have for you there. Um, but it's been well said, you know, prayer is not merely a task of ministry. It's a gauge that exposes the heart's condition. Know this, one person, one person can make a difference. God plus one is a majority, right? You could really say God plus none, but it's a pleasure, you know, that we could say God plus one. All we, just one person who would pray, be that person. You know, ask God to help you be that person that you identify with the pain that's going on in this world. And you can do that. Like I said, you can't necessarily be involved in every ministry that's in the church, but you can be praying. You can be a prayer warrior, whether it's in a closet in your home, whether it's in your car. If it's in your car, don't close your eyes. That's all I can tell you, you know. But I mean, seriously, we can pray. You can see ambulances. I, I love, you know, what my wife did with our children growing up when we would see, you know, whether it was an ambulance, you'd, you know, say, hey, okay, pray for the, Pray for the people, uh, see an, uh, a fire truck go by, pray for the house, pray, see a police going by, pray for them, protect them, keep them safe and, you know, help them be able to, you know, and you, 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 again, you understand that, you know, you might not see that person until heaven, but maybe, maybe that, that prayer of interceding for other people, what a difference that it can make because prayer isn't about convincing God to do our bidding, but allowing him to move us to the place where we're willing to do his See, a lot of times we're trying to get God to do something for us, but really the true you know, essence of prayer is that God would change me and you to do what God desires that we do, amen? Not my will, but thine be done. And then the last thing, we'll close with this, turn your prayers into action. You know, that's what Nehemiah did. He goes before the king. He says, give me favor before the king. You know, understand this, you know, the challenges that you face in life, they don't define you. Actions define you. Your emotions don't define you. Your actions define you. Look what Nehemiah does there in chapter two. And it says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, not the vehicle, in the 20th year of the king of Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him and I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And now I'd never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? There's nothing but sorrow of heart. This is kind of funny when you think about it, because remember, he's the taste tester for the king, right? 
So if you come into the king and you hand him a bottle, you know, he goes like this and he goes, Nehemiah, you know, he goes, there's a way I could sneak a drink in here too. And he hands it to the, to the king and the king's about ready to take a drink. He looks over at Nehemiah and Nehemiah's going, and he knows he's the cupbearer, right? And he's going, Nehemiah, you okay? He, the king's going, should I drink this? He goes like, you're not supposed to be sad in front of me because, you know, if, if, is this poison? You know? And so Nehemiah, see, like he was, I became dreadfully afraid there. He says in verse two, it says, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? God had prepared the king's heart. He says, so I prayed. Why? Because Nehemiah had been praying and seeking God. God has a plan. It says that before the foundations of this world were ever laid, God put that plan into order. Okay. We're playing catch up right now, okay? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Know this today as we close. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him. Before what? Before the world was ever created. God had a plan for your life. Tap into that plan. But the only way you're going to tap into it is by tapping into God through prayer, spending quality time just before him, just you and him. I love that old worship song, just you and me here now, right? Just you and me here. And, and that's what God wants. Like I said, I'm not here to tell you, hey, go do something. No, no. Let what's going on in the world, maybe for the first time in our lives, let it break our hearts for what breaks his. And out of that, that time, because we need to let it out. That There's so much pain and there is pain in the world, but people are trying to you know, excuse me, be strong and they're trying to hold it all together. When we don't need to, we need to let go and we need to let God, let it out. Get alone with God, pour your heart out. Let the, the hurts and the pains, maybe the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, relinquish those things to God. And then ask him, Lord, what would you have me do? And then watch God open up the doors of your life. Watch God open up the doors of your life. Because what will happen in each of our lives when we do? If you look down there in verse 18 in chapter two, he says, so they said, let us rise up and build says, and they set their hands for this good work. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. There's a good work for you to be involved in. I don't know what that is, but God does. And as you pour your heart out to him and you bring it to him and you ask God, God will open up that door. He will open up your eyes to see it. And then it's gonna take you the faith that God will provide for you and the strength and the power to walk through that door, to accomplish the work that he created you for. See, this is not like something you have to do. It's what you were created for. Most of us, like I said, I said, we're all born originals. Most of us die copies of somebody else. The key here is to be all that God has for you to be. And I think it, it really, like I said, it, it was just this moment for me this week and I pray it becomes a moment for you. It's a dangerous prayer, but let's pray it as we close. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's what Nehemiah prayed. And God did an amazing thing through one man. We're all one person. What an amazing thing God desires to do in and through you 
if you'll make that your prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's pray. Father God, as we close, I do. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the fact that we have Sundays like this where from babies to, uh, like I said, our oldest saints, we can be together. And Lord, I know, um, God, that there's something, God, that you want to speak to every one of us. So there's an invitation, Lord, for us to come to you, to experience life in you. I pray for every heart here, those that are listening at home, if they don't have a personal relationship with you, that it, it's, it's, it starts with a prayer. It's an open our hearts and God, I'm a sinner. You're a savior. That's what Nehemiah prayed it for himself. He said, God, we've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. God, thank you for your grace. Your word says, if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That if a person's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. The power of prayer to transform our very lives, Lord. God, may that happen. May it start to happen here. May you begin to, to well something up within this church, Lord, as we gather in prayer, whether it's here on Friday or later this month, whether it's just before a service, after a service, in our cars, in our homes. God, I know this work that you're calling us to do begins with prayer, begins with just drawing close to you and you drawing close to us that we'd receive the Holy Spirit, the comfort that Lord each of us needs in this life. We live in a painful world. We live in a world full of hurt. Thank you, God, that you knew we would need comfort. Thank you for sending the paracletos. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us, not just to be with us, but to be in us. And I pray that Lord, you would baptize each and every one of us afresh this morning as we go from this place. Fill us with power from on high. God, fill us with hope that we could be hope dispensers this week. We're going to come in contact with people who are, are depressed and anxious and fearful and angry and indignant, selfish. Uh, Lord, that could be us looking in the mirror. But God, we're going to come in contact with people. There's hope in Jesus. The best really is yet to be your coming soon, Lord. And God, I pray that, God, you would equip us for such a time as this. We, we're alive today for a reason. But Lord, it's not going to happen unless you break our heart for what breaks yours. I know that's dangerous, but I pray every heart that truly is praying that prayer, that God, this would be such a special week for them. Such a, a week filled with revival. Lord, we love you. We need you so much, God. Be glorified in your church. Be glorified in our homes. Be glorified in our lives, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen, amen, amen. Church,